Oh, do I love this lovable kook. He is an award-winning writer from Sports Illustrated, the Boston Phoenix, Boston Herald, Boston Globe, the National, GQ, Grantland. He uh, is NPR's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. No, 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 stop. I'm not with them anymore. He is writer-at-large for Esquire magazine, running the politics blog with Charles P. Pierce, a daily navigation through Idiot America with his unique and remarkable genius. I am so happy that I get to talk to you because you are enlightening on all things, even though I don't know where you work at present, because I get my information wrong proudly. Uh, Charles, thank you for joining us on South Beach Sessions. I will tell the people, this is one of the smartest individuals I have ever met. He knows a great deal about politics and history, and his blog, for me, is required reading because... Uh, the chaos that surrounds us now, Charles, is uh, different than any you've been chronicling, I feel like. Am I a prisoner of the moment, or do I have it right? What you're presently covering now makes you feel more hopeless than you ever have about disjointed, dysfunctional America. Uh, yeah, this is an interest. This is a target-rich environment uh, for writing a, a political blog. Uh, I have to admit, when I took on the gig in 2011, I did not anticipate uh, what I what I have been covering over the past six or seven years. But, uh, you know, so far, you know, as, as, as strange as it is to say, you know, we're holding on by our fingernails. Uh, and, uh, you know, beyond that, I, 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 I shudder to think what comes next. I, 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 I don't know what's possible. I don't understand. I, I literally don't understand the country anymore. I, I, my fellow citizens have baffled me. One of the things I suspect that you're probably unsurprised by is that fear of the other, that racism would work so well as a platform. Well, it never died, uh, really. For a while, it, you know, for a while, it, 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 it sort of modified itself. The, what, through history, the white America has found, you know, wonderful means of camouflage for the basic racism in its institutions, whether it, it was, you know, attacking affirmative action or attacking, you know, or, or redlining or, you know, the, the grotesque, the grotesqueries of Jim Crow. Uh, it was all, you know, it, it, we, we've been really good at finding strategies to keep us from true racial equality in this country. Uh, and, and, you know, it's always had salience with a substantial portion of the electorate. And now, uh, thanks to the careful manipulation of the judicial of the judicial nominating process and out in the states the the redistricting uh process uh you've got people who are nakedly racist who can never lose because they're in a they're in congressional districts where most of the voters approve even though uh you know you have that there's that ridiculous situation in wisconsin where democrats got got 53% of the vote in the state in the state legislature uh, elections and somehow only got 31% of the seats in the legislature. Uh, that's just weird. Uh, <laughs> you know, that guarantees you uh, a form of government that is not representative. What scares you most about the future of democracy? The apparent lassitude of the great mass of American population uh, the, the, you know, you look around the world, you've got Iranian women in the streets. You've got, uh, in Israel, you've got thousands and thousands of people in the street 
just over a, a, a you know, a, a, a change in the uh, judicial uh, system and the change in the in the institutions of democracy. Uh, you know, you've got you know, you've got people in the streets in places that it's really dangerous to be in the streets. And here, we've got an absolute. You know, we got a, a, a we had, you know, an attack on the Capitol, an attempt to 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 overturn the results of a presidential election, and yet the front runner for the Republican nomination is holding rallies in which he like praises the people who are in jail now, and nobody's in the street, nobody. Well, what's, happ uh, what's happening there, Char uh, Charlie? It's not an indifference. Is it not having enough respect for what freedom is when you're talking about consequences to Iranian women because the government will fall on your head as we have an entire information system that makes January 6th into something more benign than what it actually was, which was an overthrow of an American democracy attempt that a lot of people are shrugging about because people didn't show up with AK. They didn't show up this time with the automatic rifles. And you and I both know that if that had been ba uh, black people swarming the Capitol, they would have been piled up like fire logs on the front of the Capitol. Uh, it wouldn't have been a bunch of people in costumes milling about and, uh, you know, screwing with Pelosi's desk. No, they, they, uh, well, actually, this time they left the AKs in Virginia. Uh, it wasn't that they didn't bring them. They didn't bring them into Washington. Uh, I had, uh, you know, we, I, the first time I went back to the Capitol after January 6th, uh, which was a while because of the pandemic and all, uh, they were still in shock. The people who worked there day to day, the people who worked in the cafeterias and the and certainly the Capitol Police and the congressional aides and even the media people who are there every day that I talked to, they were just in, they were still in complete shock, utter shock. Uh, this was a, you know, this was perceived by the people on the ground, rightly, as an attack on the system, as an attempt to destroy the system. Uh, and as you said, now it's, it's just another kind of weird event. Uh, you know, they're putting people away, and that's a good thing. Uh, but they're putting the grunts away. They're putting the, the duck boot people away, but they're leaving the white shoe half of it, you know, so far unindicted. Uh, I think it's a combination of a lot of things. I think it's, it's a combination of our having lost track long ago of the consensus about what makes this country special. Uh, that it was founded, uh, it was, as far as I know, the only country ever founded on the principle that we can do better. And we've lost track of that. And we've got a substantial amount of people, and as you said, an entire media universe now that convinces them they're right, that what we've lost is white supremacy and uh, you know, a kind of rule by racial oligarchy. Uh, and that that is the biggest threat. Uh, that, you know, books about gay penguins are uh, the biggest problem we have in education. And now we have, you know, we have people arguing that there's room for for assault weapons uh, in American classrooms, but no room for Rosa Parks.
but it terrifies me. I don't know how much time you spend in terror. I don't know if that makes uh, liberals or Democrats weak when we talk to gun stuff and people argue about, well, uh, the Republicans are fighting on its behalf and the Democrats are too weak to stop it. But our leadership has fomented the division and has not led very uh, well. And I am in a space where that seems to be popular and more and more people are moving down here to be a part of it. More and more people are making this area really congested because they too represent the South the way the South wanted to be represented 200 years ago. Yeah. And I, you know, there, 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 you know, there are people up, you know, the, 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 the old cliche Reagan Democrats are now deciding they really want to be Reagan Confederates. So they're, you know, a lot of them are moving south. Uh, a lot of them are, you know, in the west are moving north. They're moving to, you know, Idaho and Montana and eastern Oregon. And uh, yeah, I, 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 you know, the attraction, I guess, is that, you know, you don't have to pay taxes. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to, uh, you know, your kids don't have your your kids and grand and grandkids don't have to go to school with them. Uh, it, 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 it. it it baffles me to be perfectly. I again, I say it. Uh, I'm less fearful than I am confused. I, I don't. I don't understand why the entire Republican Party has pledged apparently undying loyalty to a crook and to a guy who, frankly, isn't very good at anything but stirring up hate. He's a terrible politician. He's an awful president, uh, and yet there isn't a single Republican. Well, I, I won't say that I, there isn't a single there isn't a single conservative Republican uh, in office. Romney says it, doesn't he? And then he, he's viewed as a traitor. Well, yeah, but Romney, but Romney's a loser. And, Rom, and Romney's saying it from a safe as hell red seat, Utah. Uh, and the party is, you know, the party turned away from from Mitt Romney because they thought he had what he had in the bag in 2012. And he lost to the black guy. But isn't that your answer right there, though, when you say, I don't know this undying allegiance to a guy who's not a very good uh, a politician, but uh, is a crook and a grifter. Isn't it just because it won? Because you get to keep the power? Isn't that Santos? Isn't that? Isn't that? That's, well, I, mean, I mean, yes, I, I think that's what the, the but loyalty. I mean, I, I mean, now I'm now I'm going to sound naive. Uh, loyalty to power is one thing, but. Good Lord, have some self-respect. You're going to defend the guy over, over over the fact that he paid off a porn star he, he bought? But shameless wins now, Charlie. You say have some self-respect, but what are you talking about? The more shameless you are, you can endure any scandal. You can have a, thou you can have a thousand Watergates. You've been around politics enough to know that uh, how many controversies did Trump have that would have ended any other president? Give me a number. Oh, I think, you know, you know considering the length of Considering the amount of time we had, you know, investigating the several dozen phony scandals of the Clinton administration, which, by the way, was also one of those pivotal moments I talked I talked to you about uh, when uh, when the party, you know, went right when it could have when it could have kept going straight was the endless pursuit of Bill Clinton for anything and the the commitment by the Republicans uh to the notion that no democratic president can ever be legitimate that's uh that was a that was a big moment in fact one time 
Mark Warren from Esquire and I went up to Chappaqua to talk to Clinton uh, just as, to do an, a Q&A for a special issue of Esquire we were doing. And I asked him, I said, when do you think the Republican Party first began to lose its mind? And he had an interesting answer. He said he thought it was during Pat Buchanan's run against George H.W. Bush. He thought that was, you know, he had an incumbent Republican president with a, a approval rating at the time in the 80s. And yet he was attacked from the right and effectively. Your surprise does surprise me, though. I'm not I'm not saying I'm surprised. What? I'm just confused. OK, but your confusion surprises me to have your confusion. You're not supposed to be confused. You know, history, you know, you know what this country has been about and to have it like it's one thing for me. And I say this all the time. I'm like, this is not what I thought America was. This is not the America I thought I was living in. But I'm wrong. I I got it wrong, but I'm not an astute political observer. I don't know America's history the way that you do. You being confused by hate working, you being confused by Nazis being around in 2023, I'm confused by that, but you've seen too much from the machinations of party and political power to be surprised that hate and division work or to be confused by hate and division working. I'm more confused by the fact that it it, it, it has manifested itself so obviously. I'm used to surreptitious, you know, attacks on hate and surreptitious, uh, you know, calls to calls to, you know, calls to like genteel fascism. I'm not used to obvious calls to outright fascism. I real, I honest to God thought, and th this is something I go back to too. We are relitigating publicly and angrily so much stuff that I thought was settled. You know, we had, we had actual arguments over tariffs which I had to learn about in, in middle school history it was the last time we argued over tariffs. I am totally baffled as to where we're headed. I still am optimistic enough to believe we can head all this off, but I am decreasingly optimistic Why? by the day. Why would you be optimistic? How are you optimistic? Because, as I'm, because I'm optimistic in a lot of ways about the basic idea of the country. Uh, I, I think we've lost touch with it. I think we've confused it with a lot of other stuff that's really poisonous. But I do think that sooner or later there will be, you know, the great, Sooner or later, the great pendulum will swing back. I think you sound unconvincing. Like honest to God, I got it. You, you, I'm not asking. I'm not asking to convince people. Uh, one thing I have learned for is uh, I have learned is that we are all along for the ride at this point. The, the, Our fellow citizens have abandoned the field. Primarily. Well, explain to me what's happened here, okay? Because the dog whistles have become an actual whistle. Come over here, and as you make the it... The dog whistles have become air, air raid sirens. But instead of making it about Democrats and Republicans, right? Because that fight uh, is never going to end and clouds everything, and I'm not actually interested in who's at fault. I'm asking how it can be so. I'm asking... You're saying you're baffled, and I'm baffled, too. 
I'm legitimately confused how it is that people would not have more appreciation for what freedom and democracy is and not understand that what we are presently welcoming is a chaos that will reduce people's freedoms. How anybody can be on board with that. No, I, 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 because they don't, because most of those people don't agree with you that what, what is, uh, what, what is, uh, you know, that we are marked with. I mean, freedom is now, you know, defined as your refusal to take a shot against a pandemic. That's freedom. Freedom is defined as kicking the books about gay penguins, you know, out of your, your elementary school library. Freedom is, 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 is now, uh, you know, defined in these minds of as owning, you know, a small weapons platoon in your, in your, in your den. Uh, you know, we, we've, we've attached the name of freedom uh, and de to a lot of things that are minor and we've attached it uh, and we've detached it from a lot of things that are vital. Free speech is freedom. Free assembly is freedom. Uh, you know, a viable, popular democratic republic is is freedom. But all of those things are abstracts. Your gun is 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 a symbol of your freedom. Your willingness to to catch a vicious respiratory disease or to eat horse paste, uh, you know, in, instead of following medicine, is now considered to be freedom. Uh, we've debased, and 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 people have debased the entire concept of what freedom is. And I think Dan, you come from you know. You know, my my family didn't get here in 1909. Your family got here a lot later than that, looking for the kind of freedom that you that we both agree has you know faded into the background in favor of all these other little freedoms that really add up to tyranny. Freedom is no rules, right? By the way that you're describing it, the argument freedom is freedom is is, is something out of fifth grade. You're not the boss of me. That's what freedom is now to these to, to too many people. You can't make me do anything. You can't make me. Uh, you can't raise my taxes. You can't take my guns. You can't make me take a shot. I mean, I used to fight having polio shots, but I was five. You know, uh, I never. This is something, and I defy anyone to say they saw this one coming that there would be a, a worldwide pandemic and there would be an actual political movement with political salience in a war against the cure. That to me is so far beyond what anybody could see coming in politics. I don't know, you know how you possibly, possibly could have anticipated that. When you look at everything that is unspooling in front of you i'm assuming you're already seeing that we're in a civil war right but when you say you don't know what is coming next as we sit here now do you spend a lot of time thinking we're going to get the end of democracy in america and we're going to have a civil war in this country while you're still alive an actual shooting war 
I mean, we're already having an actual shooting war. It's just in mass shootings and gun usage. And it's not and it's not an actual shooting war like Ukraine and Russia, but it's a splintered thing with fragmented violence all over our country. Well, that, that, I, mean, I mean, yeah, that's that's a different thing. You know, I don't I mean, I don't know. I think we will have uh, an increasing amount of political violence in this country that unlike anything we've seen since the days of lynching and the resist and the and the massive resistance to the civil rights movement, which was a very violent time, as much as people want to, you know, you know, encase Dr. King in marble uh, and say that you know that that peace and freedom triumphed over you know the 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 noose and the gun. That was a very violent time in our politics, much more violent than the anti-war time. But not, uh, but not everyone was as armed as we are now. Well, I mean, technology has caught up with us, yeah. I'm not sure how many people have the courage to actually go to guns over some of these issues. The, the original Civil War, say what you will about it, it was fought over gigantic issues. Human chattel slavery, manufacturing versus agriculture, the future of the country, what would the country look like? Those were issues over which to start a war uh, or which would make a war inevitable. Are people really going to go to guns because they don't want to take a shot or they don't want, you know, pe uh, their children to learn about Ruby Bridges and, 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 and Rosa Parks? Really? I mean, if we become, have we, have we sold ourselves that cheap? I, 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 I prefer to not believe that, but, we will see spasms of political violence again. I think there's, there's no question about that. What do you make about the anger of white people, the anger of a majority feeling like they're oppressed and disenfranchised? I think it was I think it was always there, but steadily over the past 60 years, the Republican Party has converted itself into a vehicle for that anger's expression and therefore made it inevitable that a an avatar would, would emerge to embody all of that, which is what happened in 2016. Uh, the Republican Party could have refused to oppose the gains of the civil rights movement could have not committed itself to rolling them back at one point in its history. It can't do it anymore and survive as a political party. It will, it will dissolve. White people, the white supremacist majority, and I'm, I'm not reluctant to use that word, to use that phrase in this country is only as strong as the people who take advantage of it. Uh, and the only way to defeat that is to render its vehicles impotent in the politics, which is to beat them in elections. White to, supremacy majority, you said? white. You, you're not reluctant to say, uh, clarify that for me. That A white supremacist majority in the country? Yes. Uh, yeah, I, I think push comes to shove you'd be you'd be hard to uh 
you'd be hard to argue against that. If you know some of some of its some of its elements are more polite, some of its elements are even more tolerant. But push just about any white American to the wall on his on his or her privilege, and they will not acknowledge it. They will find a way around it. They will find a way to excuse it. Why not you? Why are you why are you an ally? Uh, part of it is, is part uh, that's a good question because I was for a long I was not for a long time. I was raised in a house that had you know conventional racial attitudes it was virulently anti-Semitic. That was probably the hardest thing for me to get over. but then again, my father was you know a cop's son. Uh, from Maine South and Worcester, Mass., uh, son of immigrants from Ireland, uh, who worked for 35 years in what was then called an inner city high school and was beloved by his students. And I think that began my, my slow uh, slide away from what my culture was. I don't, you know, I don't deny that there are elements of it in me too. Uh, I bridle, uh, you know, I, I'm not ashamed to admit that, you know, if I see someone uh, that I don't believe is is qualified getting a job, something visceral in me bridles at that. I can tamp it down. I cannot make it a, a global crisis. Is this Boston? Im you. Is this Boston imprinting, or is this you're just talking about your environment at home? You have to uh, consciously. Well, first of all, I, I didn't grow. As I told you, I didn't grow up in Boston. I grew up in Worcester, but still, yeah. I mean, a lot, I mean, I think a lot of it is nurture. I think a lot of it is is growing up imprinting. And then, you know, I went far away to college, in which I uh, I was dealing with uh, overly mixed campus, but a substantially mixed campus. And, you know, everything about that just gradually fell away. And at bottom, uh, hearing, I spent a lot of time with, uh, with my grandmother, who was my father's mother, who left Ireland in 1912. And uh, she told me stories about what racial and cultural oppression was like on the ground uh, during British rule in Ireland. And somehow, and I, I'm talking when I was five, six, seven, eight, nine years old, somewhere in me that, that took hold, that I would, that there was injustice in the world perpetrated on ethnic and, and, and social, and in this country, racial, racial grounds, uh, and the damage that it can do. And as I got older and the acculturation I had at home fell away through experience, that stayed. Uh, I worked with, uh, during the Trump, uh, the initial Trump uh, Muslim ban and, and attacks on immigration. I worked with a thing called Irish Stand, which was a group here in Ireland 
uh, put together for the defense of immigrants from other countries based on our all, all of us having been children of the Irish diaspora. Have you seen a political sea change in the Cuban community? No, uh, the Cubans are uh, Trumpers by and large, and it's baffling to me. It's uh, I get called gusano, worm uh, all the time. Oh. Yeah, by my people, uh, just because. Well, I mean, in Florida and Miami, you know the politics of Miami, right? Uh, that no, no. I mean, what's intriguing about, of course, politics of Miami is it's not just Cubans. It's all kinds of Central and South Americans. If and, I'm, unless I'm, unless and, I'm well, wrong. Well, no, and it's, but it's just baffling to me that so many of my people that you'll have in the streets out here, uh, people running trucks at Black Lives Matter protests, uh, because the, the one issue is freedom as defined by Republicans who have always been seen as pro-Cuban. And Cubans come from a place that doesn't have any freedom, so they view, for whatever the reasons are, rep Republicans as the freedom protectors. And the, uh, this is true for, for younger Cubans, too? Uh, less so. Less so, but younger Cubans are also uh, borrowed pain Cubans. You're just getting stories from your grandparents. You don't. Younger Cubans don't know what it's like to feel the oppression of a government. I'm appalled all the time by uh, the fact that I believe that people in this country are a little flippant about freedom because it's not something they had to flee to find. That's you know, I, I and I'm sure there's you know, I'm sure there's a religious element too. I'm sure that the you know the pro-life thing has made its inroads. In some of the the immigrants from Cuba and South America, and well, but religion's a, religion's a big one here, right? There's yeah. a lot. Yeah, I don't need to tell you. There's a lot of hate that gets talked in the pages of the Bible. Well, there's a lot of yeah. There's a lot of hate that gets taught by people interpreting the pages of the Bible too. Uh, and I certainly don't exempt uh, my own, uh, you know form of ethnic Catholicism in that. Well, I want to ask uh, you about this, because I make all of Massachusetts Boston, probably unfairly, but you are, you know the region. You've worked in the region. Is it worse? Is the racism somehow worse in Boston than it is in the rest of the country? Or is no, it... not. I, I, I would say no, not anymore. Boston has, has made tremendous strides as a diverse city. Uh, we, you know, it, it, it's and it's taken a long, 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 long time. The one thing you have to remember about Boston in the 70s when the busing thing exploded was that Boston had w one thing that almost no other city in America had, which was white people living in public housing projects, which especially in South Boston, which created a, a real garrison mentality. It was like a gated community uh, and, you know, determined and insulated itself. But, you know, we have, you know, a, 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 a an Asian-American mayor now. Uh, we have, you know, a gay female governor. We have a black attorney general. We have... Uh, a black member of Congress. We have, you know, a, a woman senator. Uh, w things have things have turned around here. Uh, I, I have no doubt that you can still find it in the Republican enclaves up here. Which and, is basically and, and W E E I. That's 
don't even start. I mean, if if I mean, I, I realize that I, you know, if we could have a two year moratorium on sports talk radio where all the sports talk radio people got together and decided what they really wanted to be and spared the rest of us, I would be very happy. I can't believe there's another, you know, that that there is an actual there's another one of those controversies on that radio station. Where the hell is the FCC? You can't believe it's it. like the fifth time. You can't believe it. It's more than five. They've got five crimes against just my father. Oh, real? I didn't know that. Oh, I mean, it's just it's 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 been most of my life where sports radio in Boston has been something, and my view may be antiquated. I, it is allowed to change, but in our small pocket of the universe, uh, WEEI and Boston Radio has been the worst of it, worse than anywhere else in the country. I, you know, I, I, I don't listen to it, but I take your point. I don't, I can't imagine. Maybe there's a, you know, a thirty watt radio station in, you know, outside Tupelo, Mississippi, that's worse. But in terms of major markets. There's nobody close. I mean, if you look at, you know, if you look at, well, for example, look at WFAN. They've had their problems, uh, but nothing like this, nothing systematic. They didn't have entire shows dedicated to this, which, you know, EEI had in the morning for, you know, close to 15 years. What are your thoughts on the state of the American media? Let's start with the non-political crises, uh, the lack of local journalism, the lack of local newspapers, local TV news, local even local radio news in huge swaths of the country is a real problem. Uh, it, 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 you know, when you're talking about news deserts now, a lot of people are, have gone, and this is part of the reason people have lost touch with their communities. There's nobody telling them that. I think as you go further up the food chain, I think there is a real problem in dealing with the fact that we have an authentic authoritarian movement in this country that's succeeding. I don't. I, I don't think that a lot of people in my business, especially in in what is you know you know, called the mainstream media, especially the elite political media. I don't think there are enough people making that plain day to day to day that this is a, this is a, a, an order of magnitude different from other political majorities or other political, you know, times of political turmoil. That there's real, I mean, I think no, the, January 6th came as a bigger shock to nobody than it did the conventional media. I, I'm sure of that. Uh, there were those of us who went to a bunch of Donald Trump rallies in 2016 and could see it coming. But in terms of, you know, your elite political media, particularly your elite, you know, television political media, it was, you, you could just sense the fact that people were we're facing the unthinkable in real time that this could actually happen. Uh, and I'm not sure 
that we have reacted well. I say we, I say we in the media generally have reacted well to the fallout from that. Why do people hate the media so much, Charlie? It really well, just... Well, in part because we're bad at our... You know, the people who are bad at our jobs are really bad at our jobs, okay? They they, they tend to call it a rest. Uh, they've been trained to. I mean, you know, this goes back again to Goldwater. Uh, and now you've got the multiplicity of media sources... And I hesitate to say news sources because a lot of them aren't, uh, wherein you can cocoon yourself and find the media that you like and then hate all the media that you don't like. Uh, you, you can become quite discerning instead of, you know, people talking about, you know, you know, the media is biased. Well, no, not the media I listen to. The media, you know, I listen to, you know, Fox. I, well, my media is not biased. Uh, well, they're fair and balanced. Uh, when it, in fact, all you're doing is attaching yourself to media that confirms what you already believe. Uh, so in that fragmentation, you find people conflating the media they don't like or the media on the other side with the media. That's a lot part of it. I think primarily, though, the real problem with the media is that consolidation and the fact that major news operations were caught completely flat-footed by the internet and never caught up is our and our large our bigger problems than any of the others uh you know you've got i mean my god you've got npr laying people off this week you've got espn laying a bunch of people off this week uh for-profit media is on the ropes and has been for a while. What's going to happen between DeSantis and Trump? DeSantis is going to get eaten like a bug. I don't care what the poll numbers say now. First of all, he's the dumbest person in the world. I mean, when he was in the House, uh, I covered, I was down there a lot during his only term in Congress because uh, it was coincided with the Trump people taking over. So I was down there covering a lot of insane confirmation hearings and so forth. Uh, he was considered to be one of the preeminent meatheads of all time. Uh, it floors me that, you know, that he can't, you know, right now he can't, right, and, and if you look at him right now, he can't get out of his own way. He doesn't remember where he was on January, on, on September 11th. What's that all about? Is he is he is he filtering his mind for a politically correct answer to that? Well, you know, the, where the, you the, were? You were the, watching on TV the same way we were. The way he answered the question suggested, uh, because it was pretty incriminating, that he was having so much fun in college that he wasn't really paying attention to anything. That's entire. I mean, I mean, that's inexcusable. But it's plausible, although even though I, although I knew, you know, a lot of people who were in college at the time, and they were pretty sure they they remembered where they were when they saw it. Uh, although there's it's an interesting historical note on this, the only person I've ever heard who said they don't remember where they were when John F. Kennedy was shot was George H. W. Bush. 
He claimed till the day he died, he didn't remember where he was on November 22nd, 1963. Which I found stunning. There are no shortage of things that are stunning happening across the globe and in America right now. But... I, I, I actually take a lot of optimism in the people in the streets overseas. The people in Paris, the people, God knows the women in Tehran, the, what Ukraine is doing for its own sovereignty and freedom. Uh, in Israel, the, the people who are willing to, you know, thousands and thousands of people who are willing to get out in the street and, and, and protest what they say, what they see as creeping authoritarianism. All of that gives me hope. Uh, and, you know, we were the avatar for that. The civil rights movement touched a lot of people. Uh, you know, Ho Chi Minh was, moved, was first moved as a nationalist by the Declaration of Independence. The idea of what we are is still alive. It's just not alive here, which is... You know, kind of weird. Well, it's but. super. It's super weird. If I were to have come to you in 2015, a lot of people blame Trump for this. But if I were to simply come to you in 2015, as after a lifetime of studying politics and really knowing history, and I had told you, "Hey, creeping authoritarianism has a chance in America," you would have said, "I would have said it's already had its chance and it's already succeeded to a large extent." There was a lot going on in the Nixon White House that never that nobody ever caught. Uh, Iran Contra was creeping authoritarianism. God knows the reaction to 9 11. Uh, we became a country that tortured people formally. Uh, you know, we, we, we became a country that, that renditioned people. We became a country that launched wars of aggression on thin or non existent, uh, uh, you know, Cassis Belli. We, you know, authoritarians been creeping for a long time. You can read Charlie's charming, not depressing musings all day long, Monday through Friday at Esquire.com slash blogs slash politics. Charlie, good seeing your face, good hearing your voice, uh, always good hearing your thoughts. Danny, hey, Danny, it's been great. Thanks. See you later, Charlie.